Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Volume. Well, the NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. I had a good week last week. This week, I'm taking the Washington Commanders, giving two points over the New York Giants. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code MANIX only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, calling Cowherds Podcast Network. We are live as we always are on AMP. AMP is where you go for the first listen of this pod and all the Volume Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the Volume feed on AMP. Subscribe to my feed as well while you're there. Good show for you this week. Dan Rayfield 
longtime boxing journalist. He will join me. It was a tough day in the boxing broadcasting world. Showtime making it official on Tuesday. They will be out of boxing broadcasting at the end of 2023. Showtime, of course, is the exclusive broadcast partner of PBC, which means Al Heyman will need a new broadcast partner for his stable of fighters. Dan and I will take a deep dive on all of that. Plus, and this is a transition if I've ever made one, look back on what we saw from the Misfits boxing card last weekend and what exactly what we saw means for the future of influencer boxing. A little bit later, Demetrius Andrade, my old friend, the two-division world champion, he has a huge fight coming up in November against David Benavidez. Haven't talked to Demetrius in quite a while, and he took some shots at me over the last year, so of course I have to confront him on that. And then we get into what he has to do to beat a guy like Benavidez, who has become something of a boogeyman in the 168-pound division. Before we get to all that, I just want to say this about Showtime's announced exit from boxing, which will effectively end nearly four decades of Showtime being a leading broadcaster in the boxing space, a time when they have done so many good fights and done so many good things. It is unequivocally a bummer. Showtime put out a terrific product. They have been a mainstay in boxing broadcasting for such a long time, and you know, the entire sports department is terrific. I mean, Steven Espinoza has been leading it for a number of years. Steven has been a guest on this podcast before many times. In fact, I think he was the first guest that I ever had on this podcast. And he has talked about all the fights that Showtime uh, has been doing, talked about their schedule. But the people that worked underneath him, from Chris de Blasio, who has run that PR department forever, the people that run the All Access series, which has done a terrific job at showing viewers kind of how the sausage is made, you know, taking viewers behind the scenes of these fight camps, then taking them behind the scenes in the locker room afterwards to give them a real glimpse glimpse of the, uh, you know, the fallout from, you know, big wins and challenging losses. You know, that going away, that is a unquestionable negative for the sport. So I think that goes without saying, but I just want to say it at the top of the show. But more than anything, this has to be an alarm ringing for people in the boxing industry. Because over the last five, six years, you have seen network after network run away from boxing. You know, HBO goes out. NBC was in for a minute, and then they went out. CBS was around for a little while. They haven't done fights in years. Fox, you know, a couple of years ago, or last year really, they decided not to stay in the boxing business. We are in an age where live sports rights are the real-world equivalent of striking oil. If you have quality live sports rights, you are going to get a bundle of money to broadcast those rights. Look at the deals that are being struck right now by the NFL. Look at the deal that's about to be struck by the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. These properties are raking in the cash by the billions because there is an appetite for live sports rights. And I don't buy this idea that boxing you know, can't, get on that gravy train. Boxing can't be as marketable and appealing as some of these major sports because I'm old enough to remember a time, almost old enough, that when boxing was competing with the NFL, with the NBA, with baseball, with hockey, in, in some cases they had superseded them, surpassed them in, uh, in popularity. I, that was, there was a time that was the case. You know, I worked for Sports Illustrated. 
We used to put boxing on the cover all the time. It was a marketable sport that people were really invested in. It has changed, and it has changed because the quality of the product has declined. It's as simple as that. I mean, it, it's not rocket science to deduce what has gone wrong in boxing and how you fix it. And I've seen a number of fighters on social media in the aftermath of Showtime's announced exit, saying we've got to do things to change. The things have got to change. Well, it's on you, fighters. It's on you, managers. It's on you, promoters, to do something about it, to change this. The way you change boxing and the way you make it more marketable than it is right now and try to get it on the level where networks are fighting over your broadcast rights instead of running away from them, the way to change that is simple. Make big fights. If you're doing a mid-level Showtime Championship boxing, regular DAZN subscription, uh, ESPN televised fight, make sure it's 50-50. The main event, at the very least, should be 50-50. No more fights or very few fights where the outcome is a foregone conclusion. Who wants to watch that? Who wants to watch a fight that you know going in exactly who's going to win. Who wants to watch that? There's a reason these numbers have dwindled to the point where networks like Showtime are getting out. It's because nobody is watching one-sided fights where there's no intrigue. There's no buzz around those types of fights. You're not giving people a reason to tune into those fights. Make better fights. It's as simple as that. And, and, and I love it when I see guys like Teofimo Lopez and Ryan Garcia, among others, saying, we got to do more. We got to change the system. Well, Let's do it. Make big fights. No tune-up fights. No easy fights. No gimme fights. Uh, Not to say you can't ever have them, but if you fight three times in a year, at least two of them got to be high-level fights. If you fight four times in a year, which some guys should, uh, at least three of them need to be high-level fights. Get back to that. Fighting high-level competitive fights, I promise you, the audience will come back. I I don't want to hear about how, you know, the broadcast business is fractured, how the numbers are never going to be what they used to be. Probably true, but in other sports, the numbers aren't what they used to be either. And their uh, license fees or their the money they're raking in from these other networks, whether it's ESPN, Turner, uh, yeah, other net- Fox, other networks out there, the money is huge. Boxing can get a piece of that. It just has to operate in a different way. It has to make highly competitive fights as often as humanly possible. Let's just start there. Don't try to make this more difficult than it has to be. Just start right there. Make Going into 2024, make the best fights you possibly can. Make fights that are as close to 50-50 as you possibly can. No more fights where a guy is a 4-to-1 favorite, 5-to-1 favorite, 8-to-1 favorite, 10-to-1 favorite. You shouldn't make a fight where a guy is any bigger than a two-to-one favorite. To me, it's as simple as that. So start there, and you can get back to where boxing used to be. I, I firmly believe that this sport can get there. I really believe that. It just has to change how it operates. And this idea that fighters and managers, and, and, and really it's just fighters and managers, fighters and managers have to make these fights where a guy makes the most money for the least risk. I, I understand that mindset 
because you want to make get your guy paid and you want to put him at the least possible risk, but that's not going to make the sport move forward. It's not going to help the careers of these guys in terms of legacy. You've got to change things up. Let's start there. 2024, try to make the best fights, and I promise you, I swear, the networks will come. The television money will come. The streaming money will come. You put on a good product, and the networks that are looking and desperate for live sports rights, they will line up to get it. All right? So there is my speech. Let's get right into it. Dan Raphael, longtime ESPN boxing writer, now the author of a terrific boxing substack, Fight Freaks Unite. You can subscribe to that on Dan's social channels. It is, in my opinion, the best substack out there for boxing content. And Dan joins me here on the show. All right, Dan, the news this week regarding Showtime, uh, not good. The expected exit from Showtime has become official with Showtime informing its staff that it will be no longer broadcasting boxing at the end of this year. Currently, Showtime has one more pay-per-view on the schedule. Uh, it is the fight headline, uh, or the card headlined by David Benavidez and Demetrius Andrade. Terrific card, uh, but it'll be the last, or as, as of right now, it is the last one scheduled uh, before the end of the year. Uh, this was, of course, Dan, expected for several weeks and months. The rumblings have been there about Showtime getting out of boxing. Uh, I guess your reaction off the top to Showtime after this year, no longer broadcasting boxing for the first time in 37 years. I mean, I'm I'm sick about it. I mean, and I'm not even trying to be exaggerating. It's like a death in the family. I felt this way when HBO ended, and as I have joked around, like half serious and half joking, I have still not recovered from the end of HBO at the end of 2018. And the 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 mirror image of what's happening now compared to what happened then is not lost on me. And if you're paying attention, it shouldn't be lost on anybody. At the end of 2018 in September, mid-September, we all gathered the boxing world in Las Vegas for a big Canelo Alvarez fight at the T-Mobile Arena between him and the rematch against Gennady Golovkin. Five years later. Uh, and by the way, at that time, the rumors were rampant that HBO was going to pull the plug on boxing. Two weeks after that fight, thereabouts, they pulled the plug on, on boxing. Not the whole department, but on boxing. And they did a couple, They did another show in October, another show in November, and they finished up with a show in December. And then that was all she wrote. Here we go out to Las Vegas this past September for a big Canelo Alvarez fight against uh, Jermell Charlo on September 30th to the backdrop of even much stronger chatter and discussion that Showtime was going to end up pulling the plug. In some ways, it was more of a conversation among the boxing people when I was in Vegas for that fight than the fight itself. As I have joked, Canelo versus Charlo, that's a one-night stand. Uh, boxing and Showtime has been a 37-year relationship. So in many ways, it took on a greater meaning than just a one bout. And uh, what happened? Here we are a couple of weeks later, and uh, Showtime does exactly the same thing, pulls the plug not only on boxing, but the entire sport, uh, Showtime sports department. And uh, they'll finish out this year, which, as you mentioned, they have the pay-per-view on November 25th with Benavides and and uh, and uh, Demetrius Andrade. And uh, my understanding is they will have two events in the month of December. They'll have a Showtime Championship boxing card, and they will all do one more pay-per-view on December 9th. And that'll be all she wrote. And they, you know, and PBC, which is obviously their partner, uh, they have the Benavides and Andrade fight set, and so they'll populate the final two of the, that undercard, which I guess will be announced in the next, you know, today, tomorrow, this week, sometime. And they'll populate those other two events with another probably, you know, seven or seven or so televised fights. And by my count, PBC's got about 10 fights I know that are on the drawing board in various stages of them 
trying to do them or fights that they have won at purse bids, that sort of thing. And, uh, and that'll come to an end in December. And, uh, you know, Al Heyman is out there looking for a deal. I mean, I know you reported the possibility of uh, him, uh, and I've heard the same thing about him perhaps making a deal with Amazon Prime. But my understanding, Chris, is that's that may happen, fair enough. But it's a long way from, like, there being signatures and a deal and something in place to, to get it rolling. So I'm not going to sit here and count my eggs before they're hatched on something like that. And it's just a terrible thing. I thought to myself, I've been a boxing fan since uh, the late 1970s when I was I was like, maybe eight years old, nine years old when I saw my first boxing matches on network television. I don't know a world where there's been no boxing on HBO or Showtime. You know, my entire life as a boxing fan pretty much has involved both of those networks. And now it's not going to involve either. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad. You know, there, there is a, a, a sad symmetry to HBO and Showtime going out. The last big fight that HBO put on was Canelo Alvarez against Gennady Golovkin too. Maybe the last big fight Showtime puts on is Canelo Alvarez against Jermel Charlo um, before both going out. My, my, I, I echo everything you said there. It's it's not, you know, Twitter is not a a happy place in general. But like when, I, when you read people celebrating the demise of a network, it, it's stupid. It's it costs fighters money. It takes exposure away from the sport. My my immediate takeaway, Dan, when I first heard this was we're kind of adding up the types of platforms where boxing is failing at, right? It, it has failed, at least for now, at the network level. It has not appeared on network television in a number of years, despite putting up some good numbers when it did appear on network television. It is obviously now no longer working at the premium network level as these team, as these organizations have reshuffled their priorities. It doesn't work on an HBO or Showtime premium network level. I don't think we can sit here and say that, it works at a zone type level. zone's had issues of its own trying to, you know, establish itself in the boxing space. And as you mentioned, Amazon, that's a long way off. Like Amazon, to my knowledge, is not committing to anything substantial at the moment. So there's there's a lot to digest on on that front. Um it the big question, of course, that kind of you touched on it brings me to what I think where you take the story forward is what does PBC do? Because PBC has a lot of fighters on its staple. Fighters that have been relatively inactive anyway, even when the Showtime deal was in existence. Um, Amazon, we've heard about. There's been some reporting about DAZN. I know nothing about that. I am a broadcaster on DAZN, but I know zero about what PBC might be trying to do there. But DAZN already has output deals with Matchroom and has uh, an agreement and works with Golden Boy on a regular basis. Would they be willing to add another stable of fighters to that platform and you know what kind of fights would they get for that like like the the, you know as every network has DAZN has had problems making kind of those non-pay-per-view fights those high those tentpole terrific non-pay-per-view fights those championship boxing level fights in part because fighters just don't want to fight they want so much money to fight basic everyday you know types of fights where what is the next move here we're you know we're what like it's mid-october as we record this we're two and a half months away from the end of 2023 what do you think the next move is for pbc well first of all two things uh showtime leaving boxing is not a reflection of a failure of boxing on a premium level the exit of boxing from showtime is a dramatic change in what the parent company is doing with all of its entities not just boxing it would be one thing if boxing was just thrown overboard and they were continuing on with their other 
uh, properties within Showtime Sports or that the network was thriving and other things. But the entirety of Showtime, the whole future of that enterprise is up in the air and is, is not going to be going, moving forward. They're going to be they're moving off sorts of stuff onto their Paramount Plus platform. This is not a boxing only issue in terms of this particular issue. Uh, perhaps on HBO, they saw the writing on the wall for different reasons and they pulled the plug. But the reasons for them ending their involvement in boxing are different. And and like I said, when HBO ended boxing, they didn't just uh, they didn't end the entire sports division. Showtime is ending the entire sports division. And what pains me as much as the end of the sport on this network is that a lot of people? Which, who I but know by the way, Dan, HBO HBO got there eventually, though. Like they've effectively ended yes. their sports division now. Like they just it, they just dragged it out a little bit longer. But but the the reasons that Showtime boxing is done is not a failure of boxing on their platform. It's a failure of uh, keeping up with just the media landscape in general. That's my opinion. I think it's a, look, Dan. I, I would say just let me jump in real quick. I, I think it is a failure in boxing. I, I think if look, it's a numbers game. Right. Like if boxing was doing the kind of numbers it did on HBO back in the early aughts and even before then, uh, Paramount and their executives wouldn't be getting rid of it. The fact is, those days and you got those press releases from HBO, like we did a million three viewers for uh, Golovkin fight. We did this. Those numbers are gone. Those days are gone. And if they were still around, well, if they were still around. No, no, it's a numbers game, though. It is a numbers game. But none of none of the properties do those kind of numbers anymore. In any sport, except for the NFL. I mean, that's basically it. Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, you know, the big, uh, you know, the championships in uh, the individual sports. They still do certain numbers, but they're not at the same level. I mean, I was, you know, was watching like a, a video on YouTube of like a, you know, I, I saw a clip of like from Ali Spinks in like 1978. Fight did like, like, like whatever it was, like, you know, 45 million viewers on ABC or some crazy number like that. But what I was going to say to you, besides what we were just talking about with the, whether it was a, uh, a failure on boxing besides my own disappointment about just the ending of this franchise is that there's a lot of people that work at Showtime sports who I've known for many years and consider friends. There are 38 full-time employees of Showtime sports from Steven Espinosa at the very top, all the way down to, you know, the full-time secretary. They're all going to lose their jobs. Number one, they're all being laid off. Number two, that does not even include the folks that come in to work individual events on a contract basis or, you know, our good pals, the, uh, the announcers and, and those types of folks, um, there's a lot of people and a lot of families that are losing their jobs. Now, that's happens in everyday America, but not in the America that I closely follow and deal with. So while I feel for all those people, but the people that showed them sports in particular because of this situation. Um, so it's just not a good thing. As far as you mentioned, you asked me about what's the next move for PBC. I don't think that Al Heyman, from everything I have heard from people around him, because, you know, he doesn't talk to anybody in the media. <laughs> Is that he doesn't really want to do a deal with the zone, even and, and that's not even to say if they're I don't know if they're interested or they're not interested, but he's not interested in going there. He's looking for something other than uh, than the zone. I think from the standpoint, if you're PBC or anybody that's looking for a boxing deal, you need to have the ability to have fights on a streaming platform, but you also need some type of element of a linear uh, distribution situation. Now you mentioned there hasn't been fights on uh, on on a network television or, you know, other than the ESPN on basic cable and Showtime now for a while, you know, this is not necessarily a huge thing, but like Peacock, for example, they just announced a, an agreement with, uh, with boxer from the UK, which is owned by Comcast. I mean, you know, uh, Peacock is owned by Comcast and sky sports where they have their output deal in the UK is also owned by Comcast. So they have like some type of, uh, you know, corporate relationship. So, but anyway, they're going to do some fights on Peacock in America and in their announcement uh, uh, the other day, it was that select fights will be on NBC. 
So there is still an appetite somewhere for boxing. I believe that whenever something like this happens, there's going to be somebody that will step into that 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 void. In the case of HBO, it happened a little beforehand. You had HBO coming to an end with the announcement in October of 2018. And what occurred one month before that? It was the birth of the zone, which in large measure, for better or for worse, however you think about uh, their stuff, they have put on lots of major fights over the last five years and has taken up a space where a lot of the biggest fights that we've seen on the zone would have been on HBO. So while it's a depressing day that this is happening, yes, 100%. I strongly believe that somewhere, somehow, you know, from the Phoenix rises the ashes, or from the ashes of the Phoenix, there will see a rise, uh, and that somebody's going to step into the breach. There's too much money to be made, particularly with these big pay-per-views. The ironic part is that Showtime Sports, even though it wasn't on the network, in terms of the pay-per-view events, had one of the biggest years they've had in a long, long time because of the big, huge fights. Canelo, Charlo, Tank Davis against Ryan Garcia, uh, David Benavides against Caleb Plant, uh, obviously a smaller Tank Davis fight earlier in January, not to mention, obviously, Errol Spence against Terrence Crawford. I mean, those fights combined generated several million pay-per-view buys. Showtime gets about 7 to 10% of the revenue of those events. So well, doesn't, that tell you, doesn't that say something to you, though, like that they had such a successful year and at the end of it, they're getting out? Like, doesn't that say something about the, the state of boxing and the end? No, it doesn't say of, anything about it. It doesn't. I, I disagree. It says I, that I, Showtime's I, parent company is changing their philosophy. They're trying to sell BET. They just show, sold their book publisher, Simon & Schuster. This is not a matter of we don't like boxing and everything else is status quo. This is a tearing down of that company from top to bottom. I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I, I think so. Uh, one of the things I believe in all this is that, and you mentioned other sports, like the NBA and its broadcast partners are exactly that. They are partners. The NBA and ESPN and Turner, they work together to consistently put the best product on the court. Now it's easier because the Lakers have to play the Celtics. The Bucks <laughs> right. have to play the Thunder. Like you have to have these teams will match up. But one of the things that has come up over the last couple of years to take something from the other sport that I work with uh, has been the idea of load management, how stars are sitting out and that's negatively affecting ratings. It's negatively affecting the fan experience. Well, the NBA you know, could have said to its broadcast partners, like, we don't care. Like, we're going to have our teams do their own thing. But they have gone out over the last few years with scheduling first to eliminate the number of back-to-backs, to eliminate the number of three games at four nights, and as recently as this year, to effectively say, load management is done. We're not doing load management anymore. These guys got to play, or else they're going to be substantial penalties in case they do. That is for their broadcast partners. Boxing never operates like that. And yes, it's a different model, but... Whereas the NBA and its broadcast partners are partners, boxing, it seems like their relationship is almost, is vulturistic a word? I, I don't even know. But it's like you're operating like kind of a vulture where you want to take as much money as you can and then move on to the next. And that's, that's, that's not the, a... That, that's the ahead. sport, unfortunately. I mean... That, that's the way it's but that's now. what's wrong with it and like that that's no, why not, i don't i don't share any kind of like you say phoenix rising from the ashes i mean no but no i turn a phrase but i don't i don't know that that's in, i'm not talking about what you're saying to have partnership and sing kumbaya i'm saying somebody else with a vulturistic attitude if that's a word is going to step into the breach <laughs> and look to spend some money on boxing because it's an opportunistic sport there is no barrier of entry 
And in terms of what you're talking about with the NBA and its partners and the players and load management, all that stuff, the big, huge difference is they all that all that stuff, at least in terms of the players, is collectively bargained. They have a union that does all of those things, whether it's a salary cap or it's, uh, you know, any, you know, I don't know the details of every single, I'm sure you're well-versed in what's in that uh, agreement, but they, they go over everything like, you know, travel accommodations and hotels. Yeah, but and- that stuff, that stuff's not in the CBA. Like that, that stuff is like at the discretion of teams or has been on the discretion of teams okay, for but years like now. Like revenue sharing between the ownership and the players. Agreed. And Agreed. Boxing, but, but, but that revenue is a new deal. They're, right, they're but that- constantly negotiating. Right, I, I get it, but that revenue comes in one way or the other. Like the 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 TV money is there, right? Like the ticket sales. Like you're buying people are buying tickets to see Luka Doncic play in Atlanta right now, thinking he's going to play three months from now. Like that money's going to be there almost no matter what. The NBA is doing everything humanly possible to make sure the television experience and the fan experience is the best it possibly can be because the best guys are out there. Boxing just doesn't do that, and and. And despite the fact that they keep, you know, stepping into rakes and falling on their face, it, it consistently doesn't learn its lessons. And the, look, the one I, thing I disagree with about in terms of I don't I don't agree with part of your characterization. <laughs> when you say the NBA, the NBA is a is an entity, is a corporate entity that has franchises in these different cities around the country, and they play a schedule and they're in their even though they're different teams, and on the corporate level, they're unified. In boxing, that is not the case. So there is no quote unquote boxing. You want to say matchroom, you want to say golden boy. You You're right. It's not an rank. apples to apples analogy. You're right. So so just take top rank, for example. They have preached, and I've talked to their people, Todd the Buff and Bob Aram and, and and different folks that work there, their PR team. They preach constantly and they're trying to do this. It doesn't always work perfectly, but their mantra is we have to do the best thing for our broadcast partner and for our business that yes, you have to accommodate the fighters and try to do what they need to do also, but their first loyalty is really to the, to, to the nurturing of the deal because they're going to be around longer than a boxer in their prime. So I understand where they're coming from. So they do, and they, and they're and the proof is in the pudding. They have gone out and tried to make the best fights. Not every single fight's an A-plus fight. That's never going to be the case. The same way, you know, in the NBA, you're subjected to seeing two teams that stink play each other on a given night. But they're they're approaching it in the right way. Uh, and they're doing far, far fewer pay-per-view fights than the other companies are. So they at least have a concept of the right way to do it, to do what you said, which is to help make things... Uh, good for the for the viewer for the broadcast partner and also obviously they're still paying their boxers at least the the guys in the main event type fights you know a lot of money um and i don't know if the same can be said for some of the other companies in the way that they approach things that that, i don't really mind pay-per-views all that much as long as you get the very best find the best thing the prices are outrageous like if you're in a being 80 dollars is wild I, i wish that some promoters would come along and fighters would come along and take the risk of having fights that are like $40 a pay-per-view, $50 a pay-per-view. I think they'll be happy with the results because more people would buy uh, the pay-per-view. Eddie Hearn said something, and he has said this a few times about, and he said this on this podcast as well. He has said like promoters and networks have to be willing to lose fighters, have to be willing to say no. And I agree 100% with that mindset because if you're a network you want to get value for the fight. Having a guy 
step in the ring, a big name fighter, step in the ring with a guy that has a popsicle's chance in hell of beating him doesn't give you real value. It doesn't. Like the, the value of seeing, you know, fighter A in an exhibition, basically an exhibition match, doesn't do anything for you. And and I, I use my good friend Edgar Berlanga as an example, like because Edgar Berlanga uh and his management team, Keith Conley, like they are, you know, trying to make you know, fights that Edgar Berlanga is is a favorite to win. And that that's their job. That's the manager's job in that situation. But I don't know what an Edgar Berlanga fight against uh, a, a Jason Quigley type, if he fights that guy in his next fight, I don't know what that what value that brings. And that's the thing, the problem. I think networks almost have to be willing to put on nothing <laughs> if they're not, if they're going to be spending millions uh, to have a fight that is non-competitive. Well, you need to have fights that are competitive out there. Listen, sometimes... Less is more, uh, and I don't want to. I agree. Make, I don't want to make myself sound like an old guy, but I spend a lot of time in my life, probably more than most people would like to know, and that maybe might think I need to have some uh, uh, psychological attention paid to myself. But I spend a lot of time studying the master list of the old HBO events and Showtime events. And if you go back on HBO, this is just one example. Go pick a random year, like pick 1987 or whatever it is. I'm not even looking at the list. There might go. They might go through a year where they only showed fifteen fights, bouts. I'm talking about not fifteen events. I'm talking like fifteen bouts, eighteen bouts. That's why you had the big time matchups because they were paying premium money. Mm-hmm. But basically, every single time the guy stepped in the ring, it had to be something worthwhile. Now, there's exceptions when the prime Mike Tyson was killing everybody. There was no competitive fight that you could make for him, but he was doing forty million viewers or you know forty shares in terms of their ratings. And people want not 40 million, but 40 shares in terms of rating points. Uh, people wanted to watch them. So there is a happy medium. So I don't have a problem. If you have a bona fide star, if you have Canelo Alvarez and you put him in uh, a guy who's regularly fighting, active, fighting two, three times a year, a couple, you know, back not that long ago, he fought four times in 11 months. And you want to slip in a dog shit fight in there once in a while. Uh, I get that. The fighters, you know, the career is not, uh, uh, lasts forever. They got to preserve themselves. A I have no bit. problem so with the comeback, the comeback fight, Dan. Too. Like you come off a loss and the comeback fight is great. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm if you take a big fight. fight, I'm talking about, he fights Callum Smith in a real fight. Oh yeah. All right. He fights a dog shit fight against Yildirim in a mandatory. Then he comes back and he has two more real fights. Uh, if you want to slide in the garbage fight in there, you know, so be it. It's when you fight once or twice a year and that mm. fight is a lesser fight, then you got a problem. And you lose the interest from the media. You lose the interest from the fans. You certainly lose the interest from your your broadcasters. How is that a way to continue making a sport uh, thrive and grow if your best stars are fighting so infrequently? And if they do fight, they're not necessarily in a big matchup. Now, in the case of, I'll just mention Berlanga because you brought him up. Uh, my understanding is they're trying to make like a reasonable fight for January, which is a great, something that he's promised in his promotional contract with Matchroom. And if that goes well, they'll do the fight with Munguia, you know, in the next fight. That seems like a reasonable plan of attack to me, anyway. I don't disagree with that. I just think, what is reasonable? <laughs> like, well, I think that's of course, the question. That's where like, you come up. You got to figure out what's the right <laughs> opponent. Like, I'll use this guy as an example because they just announced the fight with somebody else. But I would have loved to have seen Berlanga against Christian Mabili. Like, sign me up for that. That's a tremendous sure. fight. I mean, yeah. it's dangerous because I think Mabili's a beast. And I think he's really, really good and is going to be a dangerous guy at 168 for a long time. But that, to me, is reasonable. There's a whole bunch of guys that I would think are reasonable that maybe Berlanga doesn't want to go up against. I just, this is a different topic, but I want to see Berlanga Munguia so bad. I can 
claw my eyeballs out. So as long as they by the way, that, I do, I do suspect that you'll see Berlingo Mangia. I do, I do, and I think in in the by the middle of 2024, you. I think the summertime is when they're going to look for it. I think you'll see Berlingo yeah. back in the ring, probably January ish. Uh, Mangia maybe have another fight around the same time frame uh, again against you know not not killer Joes, but you know, regular guys. And by the way, that's not like an alien concept. I mean, again, I think back on the HBO days when they were getting ready for a mega fight between uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Julio Cesar Chavez the first time. They put him on a doubleheader and they both fought guys that were not as good as you or me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they made the match and then they put the pay-per-view on. So that's the tried and true way of doing it. But in terms of the overall business, um, one of the attractions of boxing to me, within reason, is the sense of an outlaw kind of sport where it is kind of a free-for-all and there's characters and you know, kind of crazy shit that goes on. Uh, but sometimes it has to be reined in a little bit. And right now we're in a position where it needs to be reined in a little bit. It's, it's look, it, that, that part of it is great when it's harnessed properly, if that makes any sense, because in the eighties and nineties, boxing was competitive with the NFL, the NBA, all that. Since then it has gone to the deep fringes and where you have, you know, top promotional outfits in terms of PBC looking for broadcast deals. <laughs> Uh, right now, by the way, shout out to Keith Conley, the manager of Edgar Berlang. I know you listen to the podcast and will be texting me as soon as you do. Um, but last, he'll be texting to, me also, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. To put a button on this, Dan, January 1st, 2024. Do you believe PBC will have a new broadcast deal? Well, I mean, that obviously you're putting a time limit on it. So I can't I, I would be uh, I mean, the time is ticking, obviously. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I will say this, whether it's by January 1st or, you know, in the not too distant time after that. Uh, I do believe they'll have some kind of deal because I know Al Heyman. Um, I'm like the only media person in the history of the world that ever quoted him in a media outlet twice in USA. Uh, once in, once when I worked at USA Today and once when I worked at ESPN. Not to say that we're best friends. We haven't talked in quite a while. But uh, here's the point, though. Anybody that underestimates Al Heyman's ability to deliver an, a deal for his, for his company and his fighters uh, is dramatically underestimating him. I would never underestimate Al Heyman. You do so at your own peril. So you can love him. You can hate him. You can like how he operates. You can dislike it. You know, you can be annoyed by his lack of transparency, by his unwillingness to speak to the media, to divulge anything, to however he operates. Uh, For him and his fighters, largely, it has been successful. And I don't think there's anything that's going to change that. I think he will find a deal. I think he's got too much experience, too much savvy, too much smarts, uh, is too much of a salesperson to not have a deal. You know, there's a reason why over the last since the time he's been around in boxing since the early 2000s, but more particular since PBC was created in roughly 2015. With a few uh, examples that go against this, but most of the time the boxers are extremely loyal to him. Even some would don't have contracts that say, you know, you're bound to this person as your manager or as your advisor. There's a reason for that. They 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 would run through a wall for this guy. I mean, I don't personally quite get it, but. I'm not going to quarrel if you are the boxer putting your life on the line and you're happy with your representation and how things are going. You know, obviously there's always a few exceptions to the rule, but can you say, Chris, in your time of uh, covering boxing, being around this sport at the highest level like you have been and like I have been, can you think of a time ever, one time, one time where somebody went out publicly and 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 said negative things about Al Heyman? Not really. Like Matarosian, Matarosian kind of remember when he defected uh, for a fight. Like, but that, that's it. That's on a, on a very small. Broner was maybe on the edge of maybe, that, but yeah. But the yeah. point is, that's to be able to keep that many divergent personalities and different types of people and different kinds of fighters and their managers and other people around them. 
nobody says a bad word among those people, he must be doing something right. And I believe he'll get another deal. He, he also should be on the Hall of Fame ballot. And that's something we've discussed in the past. Like, that that's a guy that like he whatever quibbles I've had with Al Heyman and how he's done business over the last 20 some odd years. And I do think he's been better for boxers than he's been better for boxing. Um, he has had as big an impact on this sport as anyone over the last two decades. Well, uh, what you're no reminding me of that. is that I need to sit down and actually now spend some more time doing my own Hall of Fame ballot, which I uh, have uh, to spend some time filling out. Uh, over the next couple of days because it's due back. I have a good idea what I'm going to do, but I got a few things I still got to study up on. Same with me too. And uh, I just know I'm voting for Ivan Calderon until he gets in. Until well, the I'm day glad to I, say that. Because I've been for voting for the Iron Boy for years. This is a, a down year in terms of the first ballot guys. Uh, Let no him in. Those fighters. I don't know if any of the three guys that were put on the ballot for the first time this year are going to make it. Uh, 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 Yamanaka, Gregorian, and uh, and uh, Sahapram, you know, all good fighters in their day, but I don't, view any as for about first ballot locks by no means so this is the year uh, i'm definitely voting again for ivan calderon who i voted for many times in the past it's also i believe the year if you're if you're a voter and you have not made your decision and you're trying to figure out what the heck to do please give a strong look to wilfredo vasquez senior one of the great puerto rican fighters of all time three division world champion uh tremendous fighter in the featherweight division and then you know in terms of moving up in weight also um th there's some guys that really belong there i mean i'm i i want to i want to give a you know, uh, a strong look. I, I mean, I've, I've gone back and forth on this, but I think I'm there now where I'm going to vote for Diego Corrales for a lot of different reasons, even though he's no longer with us. Um, same can be said for Ricky Hatton. You know what? I was thinking about this, Chris, when I was thinking about the ballot. And I've had Ricky on my radar for a while. I haven't voted for him a lot of times because there's just been other guys that deserved it more based on who was on the ballot. You know, I, I can't not vote for, you know, a, a Floyd Mayweather or a, or a Vladimir Klitschko or a Bernard Hopkins or people like that that have kind of been ahead of him. But I think to myself, when you write the history of boxing for that era in the in the mid 2000s into the you know 2010s let's say you can't adequately write the history without writing about Ricky Hatton a lot and that to me is part of the the reason why you make the hall of fame you can't write the history you can definitely write the history of boxing without Arthur Gregorian 100% who's a guy on the ballot for the first time this year you can definitely write the history of boxing without talking about Yamanaka on the ballot this year for the first time you cannot adequately write the history of boxing without writing about uh, Ricky Hatton or even Diego Krause for that matter. I mean, so that, again, I'm not saying that's the reason to vote for a guy, but I'm saying when it comes down to you have to make the pick and you got to split the hairs and it's at the highest level possible. Those are the kinds of things I think about. Which brings me to the worst transition in the history of boxing podcasts, misfit boxing. I don't know. I can't believe you just said <laughs> I, that. I did. I, I well. I didn't expect you to go deep on the Hall of Fame right there, Dan. I had to make the transition <laughs> to misfit boxing. Um, this past weekend was, uh, I believe, will come out to be the biggest event in misfit boxing history in terms of revenue generated, pay per view sales, all that. Uh, it was co-headlined by two fights: Logan Paul against Dylan Dennis, which was a blood feud given how personal their back and forth had gotten in the weeks and months prior to the fight and KSI, a British YouTuber against Tommy Fury, who was billed as the, you know, real boxer uh, on that card. There was a lot of hype behind this, Dan. I'll be honest with you. I was excited about this card going in the Dylan Dennis stuff and Logan Paul. It kind of got me like I didn't expect it to be 
you know, Hagler Hearns. But I was interested in seeing what happened in that fight and seeing you know, what happened in the ring. There are there are professionals you could talk to about that I know, situation. I know, I know. Anyway, but but you know, I, I was less interested, but still somewhat intrigued by KSI and Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury has become like the influencer killer, you know, knocking off Jake Paul back in February, and now he's fighting KSI. Um, it was a big event. I don't know what the final numbers were, but it it did great numbers on pay per view. It had good traction on social media. The crowd was sold out in Manchester, England, but. As far as how it played out, I don't think it could have gotten worse. Like you had a completely one-sided fight with Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis that ends predictably with Dylan Dennis trying to put Logan Paul into some kind of MMA move. And then you go to the main event and you have KSI and Tommy Fury who were just staring at each other, snarling at each other the day before at the way and banging on the cage, saying they're going to take each other's head off. Uh, they go out and hug for six rounds, they, and you know it ends in a uh, somewhat controversial. You, you can keep doing the build up to this, but all I got to tell you is I didn't watch one second of the show. I know, I know, I know. I saw a couple I, of I, clips I on YouTube, but I mean, I mean on uh, Twitter rather, or X, whatever we're calling it these days. I've said a thousand okay. times, Chris. I got no problem with these events if that's what you're into. Fine, not my thing. I've said many times, boxing's a big tent. You can get all kinds of people in and all sorts of things. I don't think this has anything to do with actual boxing. Mm. Like I find it very hard to now, maybe in certain instances, like a, a, a Jake Paul fight, because he's fighting in official boxing matches. They put on real undercards. You know, they put Amanda Serrano on and some other quality younger fighters. Yeah. You kind of put him on a shelf. You put him kind of on a shelf a little bit away from this stuff. Right. So I think his events can maybe bring in some new boxing fans to our traditional sport because of what I just mentioned. The misfit stuff is not for i don't think it's gonna i don't think anybody that's buying that event and watching it saying oh wow now i'm gonna go sample regis program against devin haney or i'm gonna go you know make I sure hope they I, do i'm excited about that one you know i uh, fair enough i'm not saying that's a that's a very good fight i'm just making a point that i don't know if those folks are gonna cross over and say i'm gonna go watch that and oh by the way let me go you know let me watch uh you know, the, the most recent fight on, on uh, top ranks ESPN Carter, let me go watch, you know, a showbox event uh, or whatever. Like it doesn't, the translation I don't think is there. They've got their little niche thing. I don't get it. It's not real boxing. It it's, it's someone's going to get hurt that because they're not properly uh, trained in the sport. Um, maybe I'm just old. I don't know. It's just not my thing. I, I think the problem that misfits encounters in the aftermath of that event was, it now becomes increasingly difficult to sell. It was already, I mean, it was already an impossible sell to the boxing purists, but even the people that were kind of intrigued by it, that, you know, wanted to see these influencers get in the ring, you had savage hostility between Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis, and then a complete bore in the ring where Dylan Dennis landed three punches per round in that fight and effectively turtled. But what for- would make you think he would do anything better? He's not a boxer. That's the thing. Why, why, why would there be any expectations? I always tell people, and I'll use the example of, of, of the, of boxing matches involving, you know, actual fighters. So let's take, for example, Mayweather versus McGregor, which is the granddaddy of them all, if you will. Do you think McGregor tried in that fight, though? Like, McGregor... At- you know, no, no, but let, let, hear me out. I'm not saying he didn't try. What I'm saying is, if you went into that fight thinking you were seeing some, like, incredible world championship level fight, 
then that's the wrong attitude. You have to understand what you're buying. So if you go in with the right mindset, like, okay, I'm going to see probably a sideshow. I know this guy can't really fight. He'll probably try, but it's not, there's no chance he can be competitive with, you know, one of the legends of, of all time that you, you have, you have to temper your expectations. So when I watched Mayweather McGregor, I had zero expectations and it turned out that it was much better than what my expectations were because it was somewhat of a fun fight, partly because Floyd Mayweather carried Conor McGregor for so many rounds. But if you go into a misfits card thinking you're going to see something historic and amazing and epic and unforgettable, then you're just fooling yourself and you might as well take that $70 or $60 or whatever and flush it down the toilet. So when I talk about Francis Naganu taking on Tyson Fury, I know what that is. I have mm. no expectations for that at all. I'm a boxing journalist. I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. I'm going to take a tax deduction on my taxes when I pay for that. And I'm going to watch the fight and I'm going to write about it. But I'm not going in with the expectations that it's going to crown the baddest man on the planet like they're trying to pimp on the promotion. Uh, just anybody that buys these events, a real boxing match, a misfits boxing match, a hybrid boxing match, do a little research, have a little understanding of what you're buying so the disappointment's not there when it turns out to suck. <laughs> you know, Fury Naganu being $80 to me is wild. And I, and I wrote this in a column. Hold on, the influencer fight being uh, 55 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was 50, in the US, 55, yeah. That was wild. That was yeah, wild. No, I, yeah, I, I want to finish my point I'd on rather, that. I'd rather spend the 80 on the Fury Naganu than the 55 on the influencers because the influencers was all a bunch of trash, at least on the other fight. I just, you got I, the heavyweight I, I'm, not, good under I, I'm not comparing the two. I, I'm just pointing out that all of the money that Fury and Naganu are going to make is coming from the Saudis. Like that money's already in hand. Uh, I made this comparison. This is like winning the lottery and then stealing from the penny jar afterwards by charging 80 bucks a pop. It's just, it's wild. You're still trying to bleed people for even more money uh, for a fight of that magnitude. I, I just think, look, Jake Paul, Jake Paul is still going to be able to do events because Jake Paul is going to find interesting opponents and he's going to keep putting boxers on his undercard guys that he signed. Ashton Silve is a young fighter. That's pretty good. Samantha Serrano um, is a fighter, obviously well-known I don't know what the future is, though, Dan, of some of this other misfit stuff. Like KSI and Tommy Fury are calling for a rematch afterwards like they just fought Corrales Castillo. Like, it's like, what? Why would you think anyone would want to pay for that? Like, you talked the talk and then didn't do anything in the ring. Same thing with Dylan Dennis, who's like, Logan didn't knock me out. Like, uh, what world are we living in? What Twilight Zone experience am I stuck in that we're not getting that these guys think that people want to see this stuff run back? Like, I don't get it at all. I thought, everything, I think that everything was goes in a cycle. Everything goes in a cycle and this misfits uh, stuff will play out and it will, it'll be, it will be gone with the wind, you know, at some point. I mean, I'm I did, but I, but I think that was Dan. I think that was a pinnacle moment. That was a, a, that was probably the pinnacle of it all. And then I think it's downhill from there because I don't know how you can sell some of this stuff again. Listen, I, I, I've never understood why it was popular in the first place. So uh, if it ends up going, again, I'm not sitting here rooting for its demise. I mean, whatever, if people can make their money and people enjoy it, I mean, fine with me. I just don't have to pay attention to it or be involved with it. But I suspect that, you know, it's, I listen, again, I'm not trying to completely hate on it, but I, I kind of think of it more as a fad than something with a long-term future. Is no that question. fair? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm disappointed, man. I was, I was, I actually thought Dylan Dennis would come to fight. Uh, Again, there are people you could see professionally to talk about that situation if you want. <laughs> I thought he'd come to fight, man. <laughs> I just can't get over how he's still on Twitter, like saying, "Let's run it back." I want to fight. I Jake got even. Hold on, I got. I got press releases in the aftermath of that fight about him being uh, 
like contracted with some like porno site to do something. So oh, I mean, oh god, the, I don't know what the level that we're at here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right, do follow Dan Rayfield. Go ahead. What? No, we're we're done. We're, we're, I'm I'm pulling <laughs> the plug on this. I'm going to get to Demetrius Android next. He and I have a good conversation for later on uh, in the show. Check out Dan Rayfield on all of the social media challenges uh, channels. Follow and subscribe to his Substack. Fight Freaks United is a terrific Substack that you can get uh, all during the week. Dan, appreciate you joining me here on the show. You bet, Chris. Thanks a lot, buddy. And when we come back. My conversation with Demetrius Andrade. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top of that, like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's start with... The most humbling supporter. No, fuck that. Let's start with how you've turned on me in the last year. Since you have been away from Matchroom, away from DAZONE, you turned on me. You, Demetrius... What am I calling you now? I hear Demetrius Andrade up there. Yeah, what are you, the, French the, the, now? What are we doing? No, I'm, I'm Cape Verdean, and of course, my, my, um, my culture, my ethnicity, my background, they pronounce it Andrade. Um... When you go to my island, okay. Now I feel a little bad about asking like that because you you spent your entire yeah, career I, up to this point as Andre, right? Yeah, like but I just think Benavides and Andre um, Andrade just sounds like <laughs> it just needs to be like all the Latins, all the Spanish, all the 
Portuguese, the whole European, oh, South America. This is what type of fight this is. This is definitely one of those type of things. So why not? It's it's a great fight. Uh, and just to set it up, Demetrius Andrade will face David Benavidez November 25th live on Showtime pay-per-view. Interim 168-pound title on the line. You are a two-division world champion. You are undefeated. You are one of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in boxing. One of the most remarkable statistics that's out there about you is that up until now, you have never faced a current or former world champion. That is wild that someone like you who has had belts, who has had money behind you, has had a big promoter behind you, still have not been able to get one of those guys in the ring. Like, do you find that wild too? That, you know, you, all that you've had like behind you, the promotional muscle, the money, and still over the years, those guys wouldn't fight you. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a gift and a curse, you know? Um, there's really nothing I can say other than they don't want to fight me. So what, 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 more, what, what more can I prove? I can't prove anything. I, I'm fighting guys that's, like, not giving me all the motivation. Like, this fight will to really, like, really go out and, like, yo, this is, like, we're about to have fun. We're about to really, this is, this is it. This is, the training is different. The motivation, of course. Like, when I'm fighting these guys, I'm like, I'm like my train, I always work hard, but it, it ain't the same. It's like, all right, come on. We just, let's just get this done and over with. However it goes, whatever. We're just going to be safe, whatever, do what we need to do. Fight and just, you know, keep skating along until something happens. Um... Again, like I was saying, I'm at, I'm at a point where I have no, like, promoter issues, manager issues, so I can go anywhere at any given time. And so, therefore, it's like, who wants to put the fights that I'm looking for together? Matchroom couldn't do it with the zone. There was Billy Joe Saunders, Chris Eubanks, Canelo, Triple G, um... Who else? Whatever. I don't know. Munguia. Munguia. He's my mandatory for a decade. And you know, I hit Oscar on this last week. Oscar came on the show, and Oscar's like, Munguia will fight anybody. He doesn't duck anybody. I go, bullshit. He spent three years ducking Demetrius Andre. Like, he straight out ducked you. There's no doubt about that. No, for sure. Of course. Um, and so many others at mm -hmm. the time. You know, but for David Benavides and myself, like, again, we're at a point where it's like, who who's asking the, who's asking to fight David? Mm -hmm. Nobody. Who's asking to fight me? Nobody. As far as like the highest caliber of fighter, yeah, there's there's there's, there's fighters um, not say beneath us, but beneath us on their way up, looking for opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're like, yeah, I'll take a shot. Got David Lemieux trying to fight David Benavidez. He's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and it's but at the end of the day, that's the type of stuff that he has to deal with, and I had to deal with it the way I had to deal with it, mm -hmm. but. At the end of the day, they asked, they, I came over, I said, listen, I want to make Chalo. I want to make Plant before David Benavides and Fort. Those are the two guys um, I think that would be a good way. If I get Plant first and then Chalo and then if Canelo comes. I didn't think David Benavides was even going to make 168 pounds. That kid's big. Look how big. He's a big boy. Big guy. Yeah. He's a big boy. You know, I didn't, just didn't ever seen him on the radar. But he's on the radar now mm -hmm. and we're here. Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes. Let's make it happen. So take me back to November 2022. You're in Manchester, New Hampshire. You flatten Jason Quigley in two rounds. After that, your matchroom contract is basically up. Eddie Hearn says, I, I just can't do anything for you at this point. What is your mindset then? Because you're off for over a year after that. What was that year like for you? 
Um, just learning, making deals, figuring things out, figure out what was the best situation and how we get to this, the best situation. And um, a lot of back history that I had to, you know, clear up because during those times, it was other people talking on my behalf. There was maybe things that wasn't, um, maybe things on their end that they said it was going to do and didn't do, and they try to blame it on me. So all that stuff had to get all cleared out so we can make mm -hmm. the proper moves. When did all that stuff get cleared up? Because it was a long time out of the ring for you. And for a guy at that point, 33, almost 34, that had to have been a little bit difficult. It's difficult in the sense of, like, yeah, I want to be active, but not difficult in the sense of, like, I'm healthy, mm -hmm. my body's good, I'm, I'm preserved, and I'm going to be able to still showcase at the highest level for myself against the highest fighter because I, I'm untouched. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. How much did that first Zach Parker injury set you back? You were set to take that fight over in the UK. It was decent money to take that fight over in the UK. He gets it back out. Then the money goes way down after that. How much do you feel like that set you back? Um, I think that was the driving chain to make what, where we are today. Mm -hmm. So it didn't set me back. Why do you say that? Because I'm here today. But why do you say it was the driving force behind? Because, like, knowing the f simple fact, you know, I can't get into every detail of things, of course. You know, there's paperwork at that time. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, just knowing, like, where things was, I got hurt. And then to go all the way down, and then it was, like you said, Eddie Hearns couldn't make anything happen. So it was like, yeah, it was time to, you know, move forward. Mm -hmm. Put some extra charcoal in the fire and let's <laughs> figure out which direction we have to go, even if it takes a year. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I have still what everybody wants. Mm -hmm. Undefeated, I can fight, and I can get in there with the best of them. Whenever they choose to say, okay, let's make these fights happen. Mm -hmm. You could have fought uh, Janet Beck and defended your middleweight title. Why did you decide to move up at that point? I was already moving up before that mm -hmm. to fight Parker so mm -hmm. people just I think you could have kept your belt though then right you could have kept both for a while and then decided but that or... still doesn't okay put me into a fight fighting David Benavides or mm -hmm. Cato Plant or, or Charlo even mm -hmm. Charlo's situation when I was mentioning it was, wasn't going to be at 160 anymore mm -hmm. um, was quickly my last fight at 60 it was yeah yeah and it was tough as fuck Making that weight. Yeah, of yeah. course. Like, yeah, it was just, it was time to grow up again. Like, mm -hmm. that's it. And so, I did that. I'm not going to kill myself to make weight. I just, like, at this age, at, on top of it, too. Like, no, I'm not. I'm going to stay strong, stay healthy, and I fight the better guy. Mm -hmm. So, you talk about Zach Parker, who, who lost against John, John Ryder. He got a little dumb jam. I ain't quit. Right? You got Janet back who has, like, what, he, what has he done? Who, what he, what's he doing? Who's he hadn't he? looked great in some of these fights. I'm just saying, like, that. the last guy, he fought the guy, whatever, the African guy that yeah. was, couldn't carry my, no disrespect, carry my fucking bag to the gym. Mm -hmm. Gave him a hard time. What do you think I would do? Mm -hmm. So it's not, and then him and them fighting those guys, what, is, what does that do for me? What, what, that doesn't even move the needle. Mm -hmm. So, and you had enough of those. Like you exactly, had enough of the I non. Did it. I did it all. That was three, four years. I, I did it all. And then it's like, okay, I'm free, right? Yeah. That's, I'm free on top of it because I was supposed to go to 68. Supposed mm -hmm. to now supposed, go back down. Like, not doing that. Yeah. Not going to lift myself up to kill myself to go back down. Mm -hmm. um, 
to fight Jenna back, who does nothing to the table. Where now? Look what look look at what my pattern had got me to. This mm-hmm. fight right here. I took the I took the bullet again to fight Demond Nicholson on um the um Tank Davis card. Mm-hmm. Right? That was my like. Hey, look. Here's my good faith. Here's. But come on, mm-hmm. like. This is not this is not the motivating part that I want. Mm-hmm. So I just went in there, did what I do, felt it out, got the rounds in, see what I need, got some rust off. Uh, almost what was it going to be eleven months? Now mm-hmm. we're here. So I took that time to just get my my body, my mind, and everything right for this fight. Fighting at one sixty eight back in January, did it feel different? I mean, what of was? Of course, okay, that's bad. that kid, my huge, huge fame, weight. <laughs> You're you know, a huge 160 anyway. You were one of the biggest 160s out there. I mean, yeah, I got height. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, <laughs> you were hydrated pretty good too. God yeah, knows what that number was, you know. But I, I was fighting. I fought at 154 for mm-hmm. 11 years, then 15 years, whatever. But mm-hmm. then I finally was like, yo, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I fought bigger guys. I fought big guys. Willie Nelson was bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Vanes was big. Um, Brian Rose was big at 54. Um, 60. Liam Williams was a fucking tank. You know, God damn. And I had to lose weight to fight him. God, mm-hmm. that shit would kill me. <laughs> but the uppercuts killed him. But anyway. Um, it's true. Yeah, no, yeah. He was a tough, he was a tough guy. And yep. I looked away and I felt the way I felt. And I was able to sustain, of course, because I, I am in shape. But losing that weight, it just, I just was like, nah, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, and they was like, one more time. So I did the thing. I was like, yeah, I can't. Mm-hmm. When you get through that Nicholson fight, you say, all right, that was my show of faith there. Where was David Benavidez on your list of guys that you wanted to fight? At least two more fights. Mm-hmm. At least, like, but in the year, like, I need my, Nicholson, five months, and then if I could get one more, and then you want to begin the new year, January, mm-hmm. February, boom, I'll do it. But it was either Charlo or Plant. That's who the two fights I thought was had, had a storyline, of mm-hmm. course. Especially Charlo, you you know you you <laughs> fucking I should be sending some some um, paperwork to my boys over here selling Android and Charlo shirts. I was I like, still, I, I made a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did make a few of those. No, They're yeah, still for sure, of course. But so it was like that's the fight and the rivalry that needed to be made. And but at the end of the you day, you got to kind of love it that he's going to be on your undercard now. <laughs> no, I know a little bit of that. Oh, yeah, I got to start. When I see him, hopefully we get another uh, <laughs> chance to like do the press conference. I see him, I get to like throw one jab at him real quick <laughs> uh, I, I gotta wait till he's there because we gotta see his reaction and expression so, you know but so you wanted way. one in between basically before you at least one yeah, in between course. before you got to that yeah, of course. how come that couldn't happen just the nothing available plant wasn't looking for anything tough mm-hmm. Chalo clearly he's not looking for anything tough he's fighting mm-hmm. a guy that's 147 mm-hmm. 140 I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm like yeah, this discovers them at the same time. Yeah, discovers that mm-hmm. real quick. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, ha- have bring down that energy over there. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying like, knock them out and then, you know, get them change that. Mm-hmm. So that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're my little brother today. <laughs> Shut up, fuck you up. So you, you didn't get that fight. How ready do you feel for this level of fight at 168? I feel good. I've, I've been training hard. I've been staying in shape. I've been having fun. And um, I think I got as big as I can get, mm-hmm. you know? Muscular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
holding water, mm. um, lifting weights. Mm. Just I think I think I'm at my legs is like 23 inches now, <laughs> so I think like you know I'm 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 solid. Mm. You know, one of the reasons I believe you're going to win this fight, and I've written it already, I've said it on video, podcast, whatever. Uh, you're not. There's going to be no pressure on you to win by knockout. I think there was there was a lot of pressure on you in the past to pick up knockouts. You'd knock guys down from Kautendakwa on. You'd knock them down. And afterwards, everybody like, why didn't you finish him? Why didn't you finish him? There's really no pressure on you to do that in this fight. To win this fight, you just have to be you and just the, be one of the best boxers in all of boxing. Do you feel any of that? Do you feel like there's... No, I think I think that because of his fighting style, I can he's going uh, he's going to get hit with like w- walking in shots. Mm-hmm. He's going to be surprised, and then yeah, I can just cruise. Like uh, if the knockout comes, the knockout comes. That's how I was just taught, you mm-hmm. know. But at the end of the day, this is the sweet science of boxing, and mm-hmm. use my brain, use my education, of course, my IQ to you know stay out of the harm of danger mm-hmm. and also inflict danger. But um. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I'm showing you, I'm showing you my boxing skills on top of beating these guys down. Mm-hmm. I can just sit back and chill. <laughs> you, they should be wanting to bring it on at that point. If I'm beating you, you should mm-hmm. want to bring it on because it's like after a while, it's like, damn, I'm knocking him down, I'm knocking him down. Referee's not stopping, not going nowhere. I'm not going to press. I'm not going to f- force anything mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm just sit back, collect that check, <laughs> and be like, what's next? <laughs> Corona, please. No. <laughs> Just, yeah, I, I do because you, you, your boxing skill is what separates you. And it just felt like, whether it was before the fight in those fighter meetings, like, hey, you're going to go get a knockout, you're going to get a knockout, and you'd be saying the same thing. The knockouts are going to come. Then afterwards, you know, dickheads like me would stand in the ring and be like, why didn't you knock him out if you knocked him down, you know, four or five times? Why did you put Maciek Suleski down in the second round of that fight? There's just, I feel like there's no pressure for something like that. You can just be you in a fight like this. And that, that's the best version of you, I think. Yeah, definitely. I was me then. It's just, I know you guys want, you know, to see something more than whatever. I get it. It's, mm. it's boxing. I, I, I can understand that point. But at the end of the day, you guys are not in there. Mm-hmm. And you just ain't doing the work. Well, taking the work, so like you guys can watch and learn. But yeah, <laughs> um, you're training for this fight. Is your dad training you? Right now, I got Andre um, Rosier. Andre Rosier, okay. Me, and then you know my dad. Hopefully, he gets back in and you know um, handles what he needs to handle to be part of the camp. He's just um, he's not focused right now mm-hmm. on this, which he should be. You know, we had some tragedies in our family, so it's just like, you know, it kind of like put a strain on us a little bit. So, therefore, he's like handling that part. And, but he's more than welcome to come sooner than later because at the end of the day, um, the train goes on. He's always going to be my dad. I'm always going to be his son. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get his just dues no matter what. So, mm-hmm. um, he'll be there, though. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that works out. Do, do you feel like this is that moment you've been waiting for, like that moment you deserve? This is... You know, the headline of the pay-per-view, you've got the guy everyone thinks is the next big thing at 168 right in front of you. Everything you ask for, it feels like, is right here in front of you. Yeah, for sure. This is it. Like, um, I'm, um, I'm thankful for David Benavides and his team to, you know, be like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I, I felt a little, there was, there was some things in that thing. They was like trying to think they was trying to get out the situation <laughs> and shit. But I agreed to what they wanted to agree to. So I was like, listen, man, if if this person did it, you did it with this person, you did it with that person, mm-hmm. that person did it with this person. Why can't I get that? Mm-hmm. And they was like, oh, I'm a walk. And I was just like, take it. <laughs> it this ain't going to be on me. Mm-hmm. 
Nope. Not when I'm like a man of my word now. Like when I say it's like, what is this? Yeah, I have people doing the things after the word comes for me. There's no, there's no manager looking at it as a manager. Mm-hmm. There is none of that. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't want to talk about this, but this is the... Canelo couldn't avoid you if you win this fight. Like, he didn't want to fight you at 154. He didn't want to fight you at 160. I think it'd be impossible to avoid you if you win this fight at 168. Listen, you can't make two dogs fight. Mm-hmm. Canelo can still avoid because he'll be like, I'll fight Temis Crawford. I'll fight Bebop. I don't, you know what I'm saying? There's many other ways he can still mm-hmm. get away, but cool. But at the end of the day, like I said, this is still the biggest fight. Mm-hmm. So if you win this fight, and stand up there afterwards and say nobody believed in me. Guadalajara! You stand up there and say nobody believed in me. I'm gonna be said. Don't fucking say that. Don't say nobody believed me. I've been saying. Why would I say nobody believed me? What are you talking about? I believe myself. I'm you believe yourself. But if you point me. to all the media and say none of you guys believed in me, I'm gonna throw a microphone at you. I never had. I'm a gonna throw a microphone with, at you. I don't think we ever had that problem. Any like with media, like I don't think I don't think I had that problem. Well, everybody's probably gonna be picking Benavides. You think so? Probably. I don't know. I heard different. <laughs> From who? A lot of people. <laughs> All right. Well, good, because that's the right bet. That's the right play. Picking, but, picking you for this uh, fight. I mean, always bet on black. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, not going, I'm not going there. But I'm the, just saying. I mean, listen, it's a great fight. Of course, um, you know, I can see how people look at the situation because he's been more of uh, a subject than I have been. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean he's better than me. Mm-hmm. You're preaching to the choir. No, I'm just saying, though. I'm just saying. I'm just answering the thing. I know. I know. I got you. Well, Demetrius Andrade, we'll go with that. We'll call you that for the rest of this this camp. Good luck, November 25th. Always good to see you, man. Uh, Yeah, thank you. God bless, man. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Dan Rayfield and Demetrius Andrade for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. If you're committed to living a healthier life, you might want to look into working herbs into your wellness routine. There's a reason people have trusted them for thousands of years. Nature's Way understands that nature is the ultimate problem solver, and they're constantly inspired by the power of nature. For example, their ginger root and slippery elm bark have been traditionally used for digestive support. And St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support. And because Nature's Way sources from around the world and does a ton of comprehensive potency and quality testing in their state-of-the-art lab, you can be sure you're getting top-quality herbs. To learn more, visit naturesway.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.